Welcome to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRAR, producer Amber here. I just wanted to give you a quick intro into what you're about to hear. So last Thursday, October 26th, we held, KCRAR held our residential forecast event. The speaker at that event uh, was Dr. Stan Longhofer. We recorded that session here for playback for you now. So that's why the audio might sound a little bit different than normal is because this was recorded live at that event. So if you were at that event, here's uh, a refresher for you. And if you weren't, um, he does reference a few things. So he had slides at the event um, which he did, he does mention, and you'll hear him say, you can find that at wichita.edu slash real estate. So if you want to follow along with those slides, they're available online. I think for the most part, you can sort of follow along with uh, what he's talking about just on the audio, but you can find those slides online if you'd like to follow along. Additionally, his this is all research for his annual forecast books, the Kansas City annual forecast book is available at the KCRIR Leewood office and the KCRIR Northland office. If you want to pick up copies, you're welcome to. They're complimentary to you. Um, You can grab a stack of them to distribute to your clients. Uh, So those are available for pickup as well. So I'll give you a quick intro, a little bit about Dr. Stan Longhofer. He is the founding director of the Center for Real Estate at the Wichita State University. So in his role, Dr. Longhofer provides research services and educational programs to real estate professionals throughout the region and is the author of the center's annual Kansas housing markets forecasts, which is what he is talking about in this session. So uh, without further ado, here is Dr. Stan Longhofer at the residential forecast event. such a great pleasure to be here today. It's a beautiful facility and I always love co- talking with my realtor friends here in Kansas City. Um, so every year we do our annual Kansas housing market forecast so that it is clear when we talk about Kansas City, we talk about the entire metropolitan area. And so while we haven't done anything to forecast the state of Missouri, All of our forecasts for Kansas City are for the entire KC metro area, just to make sure that's clear. And as you can tell from kind of the cover of our our forecast here and and the booklets that you have there, our theme this year was market distortions. And the the reason for this, it it kind of harkens back to that time of tube TVs when, when the television signal was kind of fuzzy, maybe pixelization on, on the new LED digital TVs, but, But the uh, problem here over the last several years, and I'm actually going to say for about the last 15 years, we have been in a world where markets have been very abnormal. And so making comparisons year over year or, or even longer periods than that can be a little bit challenging. And so one of the things that I want to do as we talk today is think about some of that longer term perspective. Now, before I do, I need to give a couple of thanks. First of all, I want to say a huge thanks to uh, Fidelity Bank and to Security First Title. They are the sponsors. Thank you, yes. They are the sponsors of these publications. And, um, you know, all of us know how difficult it's been over the past year or so as home sales activity has declined and that that creates a crimp on... uh, on uh, commissions and therefore on income for realtors. Here's the thing I want you all to remember. It has been a one-two punch for the mortgage lending industry and for the title industry because not only are home sales activity down, but mortgage refinancings have absolutely cratered. And the fact that these supporters of us continue to support our industry in this way is, I think, just a huge testament to to how committed they are to supporting realtors and to supporting the work you do. And so please make sure you thank them personally um, with, 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 with the support that they give us. I also need to give a huge thank. It's, thanks. It's now been, I think, 13 years since we entered into a contract with the Kansas Association of Realtors and with all of the multiple listing services in Kansas, which would include the Heartland MLS and the Kansas City 
uh, Regional Association of Realtors, we are able to access all of the MLS statistics from each of the different MLS systems across the state. We make them talk together, and then that allows us to prepare statewide MLS statistical reports so you have reliable information about what's happening across the state of Kansas. Is, as a result of that, we also then provide all of the local boards across the state monthly statistical reports that are specific to their local areas. And while you in the Kansas City Regional Association of Realtors have a tremendous staff with resources that dwarf everyone else in the state, um, and, and either state for that matter, um, the, the, the many boards don't have the capacity to prepare monthly statistical reports. And so it's a part of this contract that we can do that. And I'll also just mention that it's also made it simple for all of you to continue to serve the needs of your expanding membership as the Kansas City Regional Association of Realtors has, has, has adopted in and brought in more boards around the region. For instance, the old Pittsburgh MLS. We have special reports that come through that that can still serve them and, and provide, make that such that your staff doesn't have to do something special to do that. So we're grateful for that partnership. It also gives us the ability to um, have access to the data to do the forecasts that we do. So with that, um, oh, last, last preliminary thing I wanted to mention. My slides for this presentation are available on the Center for Real Estate website. If you go to wichita.edu slash realestate, you will find those slides there right now. You'll see the KCRAR presentation right on the home page. Feel free to access those, but also feel free to take pictures and, and use things as you, as you see fit. I do need to note that the image on the right is a part of our distortion theme. It is not a QR code. So please do not hold me responsible if you click on that in your phone and it takes you to someplace nefarious. That was not my, not, not my doing. So with that, um, every year when I do the housing forecast, I look at two fundamentals. The labor market, do people have jobs? Are they confident that they're going to keep their jobs? Are their incomes rising? Will they be able to be in a life situation where it would make sense for them to buy a home? The second fundamental that I look at is the um, mortgage market and can people get the financing that they need? I'm only going to talk really briefly about the employment situation today, but, I, uh, but I'll mention just a few things. Number one, uh, the Center for Economic Development and Business Research just recently released uh, at Wichita State. They just recently released their annual employment forecast for the state of Kansas. And you can see that employment growth for Kansas this year is 1.9%. That is well above a normal rate of employment growth for Kansas. And it's projected to be about a half percent, which is much more in line with normal over the next couple of years. One of the things that Jeremy Hill, who authored this report, said is that their forecast models do not include anything associated with the mega projects that have been projected uh, across the state. And so, for instance, the battery plant over in DeSoto, to the extent that that brings new jobs into the state rather than steals employees from other employers within the state, those numbers are not projected into these. Similarly with the proposed Integra plant, the chip plant down in, in Wichita. And there are some other large projects that, again, they're hard to forecast, they're hard to project, but his point with this is that his labor forecast, if anything, is a conservative labor forecast and that the labor market will be even stronger over the next few years than what he's projecting. As you all know, the um, unemployment rates are near historic lows, and they really haven't budged up. And so from that standpoint, demand for housing should be very, very strong over the coming year based on the labor market side of things, okay? Now, 
It's the mortgage rate side of things that's caused a softening in demand. And we've all been very aware of it, this, this dramatic increase in mortgage rates. Matter of fact, just this morning, the Mortgage Bankers Association announced their uh, latest weekly mortgage rate. And last year's 30-year uh, fixed mortgage rate averaged 7.8%. So that's up almost 20 basis points from where it was the prior week. I will say that 7.8% is still not 8%. I keep hearing people say this 8% word, uh, but I, we have not seen it yet. We might, but we have not seen it yet. But there's a couple things that I want you to keep in mind in thinking about where that mortgage rate is. And so they're a little hard to see on here, but these blue shaded regions on my slides, these represent the official dates of recessions and so this larger one, this wider one right here in 2008 and 2009, that was the Great Recession following the financial crisis. And I want you to notice that ever since the financial crisis, we spent almost 15 years with mortgage rates that were below 5%. But that's not a normal world. You go back to the early 2000s, and you had mortgage rates that were in the 6 to 7.5% range. That is a much more normal world. As you go earlier back in time into the 1990s and especially into the 1980s, mortgage rates were much, much higher. Those higher mortgage rates prior to 2000 were really driven by high expected inflation that it was over that period of time from 1981 all the way through the 1990s that the Fed was on its long-term mission to achieve price stability or hit that 2% inflation target. And by the time we hit the, the 2000s, we were awful close to that. Okay? And the reason that, I, that, I, that I'm mentioning that is that I think it's really important to think about where the 30-year fixed mortgage rate would be in a world where we have low inflation, kind of at the Fed's inflation target, with solid economic growth, and nothing funky going on in financial markets. And, and funky in financial markets, that's been the case ever since 2010 or so, when the Fed began its quantitative easing following the financial crisis. And where it really matters for mortgage markets is that the Federal Reserve began directly purchasing mortgage-backed securities. And so when we sell homes to houses, I say we, all of you would sell homes to, to homeowners, and they would get a mortgage, and those mortgages would be sold on the secondary market. By the end of uh, 2022, they had almost $3 trillion worth of mortgages that were being held on the Federal Reserve's balance sheets. That kept mortgage rates artificially low from where they could be. So if I think about what are the components that go into the 30-year fixed mortgage rate, I think first of all, of a real risk-free rate of return, what we have to give up in order to be willing to lend our money to somebody else and essentially defer consumption. I'm not going to buy stuff today, I'll buy it in the future. Well, presumably I want to be able to buy more stuff in the future for giving you my money today. So I need to get a little bit of a return for that. I'll talk more about what that number ought to be here in just a minute. But the second piece is that we need to build in a premium for expected inflation. Okay? So those two pieces together would be what we sometimes refer to as the nominal risk-free rate. And that's proxied by the 10-year Treasury security. And then we have a little bit additional premium we need to add on because of risk. It turns out that our lenders out there somehow think that we are worse credit risks than the federal government and that we're less likely to pay back our mortgages. And so we have to pay higher interest rates in response to that. Okay? So what I want to do, I'm going to argue that we are probably near, at or near the peak of where 30-year fixed mortgage rates will go in this particular cycle, and that it's much more likely to see mortgage rates go down over the coming year than go up. And I'm going to look at those three components as to why. 
So the first is inflation expectations. The top blue line is the headline inflation number, the year-over-year -year change in the consumer price index. And we all know that about a year ago, it topped out at almost 8%. Since then, it has been coming down, and the most recent indicators is, although it bumped up a little bit, actually some of the, the, the more nuanced measures of core inflation suggest that the underlying inflationary pressures have been moderating. They are still higher than what the Federal Reserve would like. Okay? They want to try and get it down to 2%, and we're up 3.5% or so. But, um, but we're clearly not with an increasing inflation pressure right now. Now, I will just, I will just give a quick caveat. Today, the... Uh, GDP numbers came out uh, for the third quarter, and the economy grew at a real rate of almost 5% in the third quarter. That's incredibly strong economic growth, and that may cause the Fed to be concerned that inflation might come up again here soon. And so while I've been very hopeful that the Fed's interest rate increases have been done, we'll have to, I'm, I'm on a little bit more wait-and-see mode with that latest number. Uh, again, it depends on whether or not all of that translates into this inflation number going up or if it continues to work its way down. But what matters for mortgage rates is not the current inflation rate. It's what we think inflation will be in the future, okay? Because future inflation is what's going to erode the purchasing power of the payments that you make back to, on your mortgage loans. And so the red line here shows a survey by the University of Michigan asking households, what do you think the 30-year fixed mortgage rate will be over the coming year? And you can see that in the midst of the really, really high inflation, households never really believed that future inflation was going to be more than about 5%. And it's now back in line with where the actual inflation rate has been recently. But households aren't really the key figures here in thinking about this. Instead, we want to think about what financial markets believe the 30-year fixed mortgage rate will be. And for that, I want you to look at the green line at the bottom. It's called the five-year break-even rate. And this is a measure that's derived from two different types of treasury securities. A traditional five-year treasury security is one where you give the federal government, say, $1,000. It has a coupon rate or an interest rate that the federal government pays you, and so they pay you interest every six months as a percent of that $1,000 par value. And at the end of the five-year note, they then give you back the principal balance. They pay back the $1,000 to you. But those are all nominal dollars. And so the amount of stuff you can buy with that $1,000 when you get it back is less than what you could have bought today with that $1,000 because of inflation. Okay? As a result, in that traditional treasury security, the interest rate has to include an inflation premium on it. Okay? It has to include a little bit of extra um, interest rate built into that. A, there's, all, there's an alternative type of treasury security. It's called a TIPS security. Treasury Inflation Indexed Security, T-I-P-S. And this security works slightly differently. Once again, you give the federal government money by buying that note, and so it would be, say, a $1,000 face value, $1,000 par value. And once again, you will get an interest rate, a coupon payment, every six months. But at the end of the year, the federal government goes back and says, what was inflation over the past year? Oh, it was 8% last year? We're going to increase the face value of this note to be a cover the actual inflation that occurred. So if it was 8%, we'd go from a $1,000 par value bond to $1,080. And the interest that you'd get over the next two six-month periods would be based on that $1,080 par value. They'd do the same thing in the next year. 
the next year, the next year, all the way through the fifth year. And so every year, you as an investor get compensated for actual inflation that occurs. And when the note matures, you get paid back your original $1,000 plus all that added uh, principal balance that was added for that inflation. Okay? That's why we call it an inflation-protected security. Because you are protected on the back end for actual inflation that happened. As a result, the interest rate on these securities doesn't need to be as high as it is with a normal treasury security. Well, it's a lot of explanation in here. But what we can do then, and the whole reason that this security was issued, is we can look at the difference in interest rates between the traditional treasury security and the tips, and we can infer what financial markets believe the five-year, the inflation rate will be over the coming five years on average. And it's, it's really very much like the Vegas line, right? So, um, you know, what is the current line for the Chiefs game this weekend? 500 points? I mean, it, Denver's not very good, so uh, <laughs> whatever it is, that, that Vegas line Ultimately, they may set an initial line, but ultimately it moves based on actual dollars that are bet for or against the Chiefs. And so it becomes this market price or the collective wisdom of the markets. Same thing here with this five-year break-even rate. There are investors putting literally hundreds of billions of dollars into financial markets. And which of these types of treasury securities they invest in reflects what they think inflation will be over the coming five years. Right now, you'll see that the five-year break-even rate is about 2.2%, meaning that on average, financial markets are telling us they think that the Fed is going to bring inflation back down to its target over the next five years, and, and on average over the next five years. This gives me a lot of confidence that we are not going to return to an era that we had here back in the 1980s or even the, the early 1990s where interest rates were up 8 10% or even higher. The only way interest rates could be that high is if we had higher persistent expected inflation. And right now, financial markets are saying, no, that's very, very unlikely. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's the first piece of good news. The second piece on here, I said we, we have to think about the real risk-free rate, the interest rate that investors need to be compensated based on just giving up their money if they knew they were protected from inflation. Okay? And I, I want to focus on the 10-year treasury, which is the red line in the middle here. That's a benchmark that is often used for the 30-year fixed mortgage rate. And you'll notice over history, the 30-year fixed mortgage rate and the 10-year treasury seem to move pretty much in lockstep with one another, right? Well, that nominal 10-year treasury is really just this real risk-free rate plus that expected inflation premium, okay? You'll notice, so if we say we've got a 2% inflation premium, that's the Fed's target, then we've been sitting here throughout most of this post-pandemic era where we take the 10-year treasury rate minus the 2% expected inflation, the real risk-free rate was almost zero, okay? Very, 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 very low. Notice where we've been here is we are now back in the range where we were prior to the, to the financial crisis. This is a more normal range of real interest rates. Now, Again, the only way I would see those to go, the 10-year treasury would go up substantially from where it is would be if we had persistent higher expected inflation. So my belief is that the 10-year treasury is going to stay about where it is, but I would say that Paul Krugman, New York Nobel Prize winning economist, he also writes a column for the New York Times, he's very much on record as saying he believes that the real risk-free rate is significantly lower, more like it's been over the past 10 years than where it is today. And his rationale for that 
is low birth rates and slow population growth that causes that real growth rate of the economy to, to slow down. Um, the evidence that they point to and those in his camp point to to say this is more the norm is, um, is Japan, which has had extremely low real interest rates really since the 1990s, okay? My point here with this is this. He acknowledges he may be wrong about that. I acknowledge he's a lot smarter than I am. So we have differences of opinion here, but either way, if I'm right, the 10-year treasury isn't gonna go up, it's just gonna stay where it is. If he's right, the 10-year treasury will come down, which would bring pressure for 30-year mortgage rates to come down, okay? So that's second piece of, of at least not bad news, maybe good news with mortgage rates. The third piece is that risk premium. And I wanna point you to this green line at the bottom. This is the difference between that 30-year fixed mortgage rate and the 10-year treasury. And what you should notice is going all the way back, I think it's to 1985 that I have here, the average risk premium for the 30-year fixed rate mortgage is about 1.7%, okay? Occasionally, it's gotten higher. Right now, it's just under 3%. Okay, so it's a full 100, 120 basis points higher than normal right now. I don't exactly know why the mortgage risk premium is so much higher right now. It really doesn't make sense to me, but it happens from time to time. Notice it happened here back in 1986. We had this big spike. It happened here during the financial crisis. It happened here during the pandemic. If that mortgage risk premium returns back to a more normal level, let's call it 2%, by the time that we reach, you know, as it normalizes, that would cause the 30-year fixed mortgage rate to fall 100 basis points just on its own, even if the 10-year treasury stays where it's at. Does that make sense? Okay. So my belief is that we are in a world where, treasure, where mortgage rates are likely to decline going forward. Could they continue to go up? Absolutely. But I, I, I think there's a lot more reasons to believe they will decline over the coming year than increase over the coming year. And I'm not alone in that projection. Um, the green line over on the far right is the um, National Association of Realtors forecast of the 30-year fixed mortgage rate. Now, I will note that this is their August forecast they update these numbers quarterly, and so probably this afternoon, they will come out with a new forecast on this. Um, it's, it's right around this time of the month, and I looked yesterday, and they still hadn't updated it yet. Uh, but that is the, the forecast, essentially, that the 30-year fixed mortgage rate would fall to 6% by the end of next year. The Mortgage Bankers Association, which is the interest rate, that I, the interest rate forecast I've traditionally used, is even more aggressive. They've actually come up quite a bit. When I went to press with those forecast books, they were predicting that the 30-year fixed mortgage rate would fall next, by the end of next year to something like 5.2%. I mean, it was really, really low, and I just did not believe it, okay? And so I, in the forecast booklets you have, you'll notice I've only got the NAR forecast. I don't formally forecast the 30-year fixed mortgage rate They've done the numbers, they've done the modeling, so I rely on their figures when I run my forecasts for housing markets. But if you had to put my foot in the fire and say, tell me what you think mortgage rates will be next year, I think it's more likely that they would fall to that range of 6.5%. And again, I'm basing that on the idea that that mortgage risk premium will come back down to more normal levels, that we'll have about a 2% inflation premium and that the 10-year treasury is not going to continue to go up, okay? That that real risk-free rate will stay where it is. I'll note just one caveat to all of this. The 10-year treasury has been continuing to go up here in recent weeks, and you'll see a lot of discussion in the financial press about whether or not this is a response to federal government deficits. Um, it's possible 
I am one very much of the case, very fiscally conservative. I, I, I think that we have long-term fiscal problems with the federal government and the level of deficit spending that we have. But these are long-term problems. We're talking decades where, where, they're, where they're building up. And they need to be dealt with and they need to be addressed. Unfortunately, Congress tends to act on everything only if it's a crisis. And it only becomes a crisis if you don't deal with it over time. I don't think what we're seeing right here is the beginning of some sort of a panic about U.S. Treasury securities. If it is, all bets are off. The world's going to end and we'll just go hide in our holes. Uh, so, um, but uh, it is something that needs to be addressed, but it's not something that I think is going to be affecting us over the next couple of years. Okay? So, sorry to leave on that one little downer note, but, but I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention that's, that's an issue there. Any questions about mortgage markets or anything before I move forward? Yes. So the question was, obviously we have a uh, consumer sentiment element, a psychology that, that affects things, but, but beyond that, if we were to go to war, and I presume you mean that somehow we might get drawn into the conflict in the Middle East, perhaps we might get drawn into something with China over Taiwan, or harder for me to imagine, but possibly get drawn into more deeply with the, the war in Ukraine, um, would that impact these markets? It certainly would impact these markets. You know, it would put a bigger draw of federal government spending that would need to go into defense activities. And that would then draw capital away from, from other resources and things, which would pull interest rates up additionally. Um, I'm, I'm loath to try and do any predictions of how any of that would matter for any things. But, but I mean, it certainly would. I saw one more hand over here. So the question was whether the adjustable rate mortgage is factored into any of these numbers that I have. No, I, uh, what I forecast is the 30-year fixed mortgage rate. But definitely, as mortgage rates have gone up, the fixed mortgage rate has gone up, the, 30, the, 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 the adjustable rate mortgages have become more popular. Interesting little side note. Um, about two years ago, Freddie Mac, which is the mortgage rates numbers that I use, their, their, their weekly mortgage rate uh, release, they stopped reporting one-year adjustable rate mortgages. They just said there are so few of them that we don't see any reason to report uh, the one-year mortgage, uh, one-year adjustable mortgages. They do report a 5-1 arm. I think they may report a 7-1 arm as an average rate that they have. Um, so th those do exist. Um, and, and obviously they're more popular. We'll see how that goes going forward. Um, right now we're still in a position where, you know, that discount that you get kind of if you believe rates are going to go down may not be worth kind of doing that versus um, wait, waiting and refinancing. So we'll see. Okay. So I've just said labor market's really good, right? That creates strong demand for housing. I just said, yes, mortgage rates have gone up. That softened demand for housing, but that I believe mortgage rates are going to fall over the coming year. Well, we can definitely see these are the um, ho total home sales that are reported aggregate in the Heartland MLS. And yes, I'm fully aware that some of that ends up getting distorted as you've added more and more systems and other areas into the numbers. But let's face it, the Kansas City metro area dwarfs everything else. And so it's still a pretty good reflection of what's been going on in the Kansas City metro area. And you can see here that we were on this, so go back to prior to the financial crisis here, averaging about 3,000 sales a month. That's, so the red line is a moving average to get through things. Began to drop a little bit before the financial crisis and then really cratered down to about 2,000 sales a month in the wake of the financial crisis. Oh, you can see the federal little stimulus tax package plan they had and then the fall off from that. And then we began a steady upward climb and we're really doing well. And by the time we hit 2018 and 2019, we were in a place where inventories were so tight 
that I, that if you remember my forecasts from then, I said, I think home sales are going to stagnate. They really won't increase, not because demand is soft, but because there's no inventory to sell. Then we had the pandemic, and it wasn't the pandemic that caused the demand. It was the impact of all of the federal stimulus, both the federal government giving direct payments to households, and also the Federal Reserve doubling down on their mortgage-backed securities and driving mortgage rates below 3%, that just absolutely demand just exploded in the wake of all of that. Where you all found homes to sell, I will never know. (laughs) But you caused home sales to just absolutely skyrocket. Late last year, once mortgage rates began to go up, then we started seeing home sales activity decline. Here's the good news associated with that. You really started seeing the big declines in October, November, December of last year. A lot of the sales that were booked as as August and September sales may have gone under contract even earlier. They had interest rates. They weren't as affected by those interest rates. It was later in the year where that really impacted it. As a result, I think that the year-over-year declines are about to slow down. Does that make sense? Just because of the seasonal effect of where we started to drop off last year. Okay? Our forecast for Kansas City home sales activity is we're projecting that you'll end the year at about 33,800 units. That's down 16.2% compared to where you were in the prior year. That's a big loss. I will hopefully solve it a little bit for realtors that when you couple it with the rapid price gains, the actual decline in commissions has not been nearly as great as the decline in home sales activity. But you'll notice that our forecast for next year is essentially flat. Not an increase, not really a meaningful decrease. And so you might ask, well, wait a minute. If you're forecasting that mortgage rates are going to fall, that housing demand is strong, why aren't we going to see an increase in home sales? And the answer to that is because of inventories. And so, again, this is the number of active listings reported by the Heartland MLS. And obviously, back in 2007, we'd gotten to a place of a lot of excess supply, lots of, lots of inventory out there. But by the time we hit 2011 or 12, we started whittling it down. And we were at a place of very tight inventory prior to the pandemic. Then you guys just scraped the barrel clean over the last couple of years. And even though the number of active listings has gone up ever so slightly in the last few months, it's still well below where it was in 2019 when we said there weren't enough homes for sale to be able to support an increase in home sales activity. There are several things that I look at to really suggest, yes, in spite of the increase in mortgage rates, I think we're still very much in a seller's market for the foreseeable future. One of them is uh, the month supply figures. We, we calculate this, and, and your MLS reports it. It's essentially, we take the number of homes that are actively listed, how many homes are available for sale, and we divide it by the average pace of sales over the prior month. So if you've got 1,000 homes available for sale on the market, and you sold 200 homes a month on average, 1,000 divided by 200, it would, in principle, take you five months to work through that inventory. And this is just a rule of thumb. It's not some magic rule, you know, edict that was brought down from Mount Sinai. But we think that a balanced market is somewhere between a four and a six month supply. If you have more than a six month supply, there's a lot of inventory out there. The market probably favors buyers in the negotiation process. If you have less than a four month supply, it probably favors sellers. Now again, that's a rule of thumb. And um, it does depend on buyers and sellers actually behaving the way our rule of thumb suggests. And they don't always do that. It's really annoying. Um, But if we base that off of that number, 
Kansas City has been in a seller's market ever since 2015. And, you know, in the wake of the pandemic, got down to below a two-month supply, about a one-month supply. That was really nuts. Even right now, where we are at about a two-month supply, is an incredibly tight market, okay? Even tighter than it was prior to the pandemic. So it's hard for me to imagine a situation like that. Again, this month's supply measures balance between supply and demand. It's hard for me to imagine us being in anything other than a seller's market with this. But let's look at some other numbers to see if we can think about that as well. This is how quickly homes are selling. And what the Heartland MLS reports for the larger uh, area is average days on market. Okay, so it just takes each home that sold, how many days was it on the market, average that number. And you can see that, you know, in 2012, 2013, we had long average days on market. Some of that gets really skewed because of those homes that have been on the market for five years, and then all of a sudden they sell. It draws those numbers up. But, it, but we come down and we were averaging about 50 days on market, average days on market prior to the pandemic. Got all the way down where it was about 22, 25 days on market during the pandemic. And it's back up now to about 35 days on market, but that's really fast. But, but I wanna give you a caveat here. I, I, when, when, when the National Association of Realtors looks and reports numbers, when I look and report numbers, I much prefer to report medians. So the average days on market takes the number of days for each property and just averages them out. And again, those, those homes that took forever to sell have an undue influence on pulling that number up. The median days on market is the number of days where half of the homes that sold sold longer, half of the homes sold in a shorter period of time. And with the statistics that we're able to run, um, we only have access to the Kansas side of your data, but I thought you'd find this interesting. My experience is the trends really are about the same on the Kansas and Missouri sides. The median days on market year to date in this time when sales have been collapsing has been five days. Median days on market, five days. Less than a week, more than half of all homes are selling in less than a week, even though the sales are down. And so that really reflects that you've got homes that are selling. If the home is good and put on the market, it's selling quickly. If it's a piece of junk that's been there forever, people are sometimes still buying it. Um, average, that average is out to about 30 days. But for the homes that people want, they still have to move really quickly. That looks like a seller's market to me. And this also looks like a seller's market to me. This is using only the Kansas side listings. And what I did is I calculated for every single sale, did you sell at or above the original list price? Okay, so when it was put on the market, it had a price. Did it sell at or above the original list price? And what percentage of homes that sold did this? And you can see kind of going back to the um, prior to the pandemic, I'm sorry, prior to the financial crisis, a typical, um, you typically had about 40% of homes that would sell at or above the original list price, which would mean that 60% of all homes would sell at a discount, meaning there was some negotiation and the buyer negotiated a discount. That's normal. 60% of homes selling at a discount is normal. Most of the 40% that are at or above we're probably selling very close to the original list price. When we were in the depths following the financial crisis, it was a buyer's market, and you can see that the percent of homes selling at a premium or at or above list price dropped down to less than 20%. And since then, we've been working our way back up, and we were above that 40% level prior to the pandemic, and now we're still at a place where 60% of all homes on the Kansas side of the Heartland MLS that are selling are selling at a price at or above the original list price. Again, that very much suggests to me that we are still very much in a seller's market. Okay? 
So when you have all of these things, that then suggests home prices are going up, right? And that's exactly what we've seen. This is a measure that's calculated by the Federal Housing Finance Agency. It is the year-over-year change of a quality-controlled same-home sale, okay? So it's a true apples-to-apples measure of home price appreciation. And you can see that Kansas City peaked out annual appreciation rate was almost 19% in the second quarter of last year, okay? That's just absolutely stunning, stunning appreciation rates. Over the past year, that appreciation rate has slowed, but I want you to pay close attention here. This axis is the year-over-year percentage change. This dark line is the zero. If you're above the zero line, it means that you are still appreciating. Sometimes people look at something like this and they think the sky is falling in, right? No, 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 no. It just means like your plane is taking off and you're gaining altitude really, really fast, and then you reach cruising altitude and you settle in at a normal height. It doesn't mean, because you're not, you're going up anymore, it doesn't mean that you're crashing, right? And so, um, the, the home price appreciation has been slowing because we've gotten past the absolute insanity of the past couple of years. Our forecast is that the Kansas City metropolitan area average home price appreciation in 2023 will end the year at 6.6%. That's good, healthy, normal, strong appreciation rate for the Kansas City market. Our forecast is for a little bit slower appreciation rate, 3.7% next year, but that too is in that range of normal healthy appreciation. And if you think about it, if you go back to that 2% expected inflation rate, even at 3.7%, that means as a homeowner, you've just gained 1.7% real appreciation on your property when you have this level of appreciation. I don't see anything out in the market that would suggest that we should expect home prices to decline. And so if you've got clients or customers out there that are saying, no, I'm going to wait because I think home prices are going to collapse and do that, I get copies of this booklet, pick them up from the KCRAR offices, take them back to your office, and then give them to your clients and customers. And then if they've got questions about it, you can tell them to feel free to call me or send me an email, and, and I'll explain to them what we think we're seeing, okay? Um, by the way, I, I meant to say that before. Please take these. I know the folks in the KCRAR office would love to get the boxes out of their office and into yours, and that's what they're for. They're in, and I actually get several copies of these every single year that, that realtors around the city send to me as they're trying to cultivate their client base. So, so make use of them. That's what they're for. And uh, so I take advantage of them. All right. Uh, there's one more thing that we forecast, and this is kind of related to why do we have the supply problems. Again, you'll notice I've been giving you this really long perspective on all these things because I want to look back to the past to think about normal. This is single-family building permits in the Kansas City metropolitan area as reported by the U.S. Bureau of the Census. What they do every month is they actually contact all of the permitting offices, or almost all of the permitting offices in the metro area, have them fill in their numbers, and then they compile them and they do some statistical adjustments for some non-reporting areas and some other things, and they provide an estimate of the actual home construction activity. What I want you to notice here is that, you know, late 90s was not a period of overbuilding in the Kansas City market. And even the early 2000s was not really a time of overbuilding in Kansas City. Kansas City did not see some sort of this boom in new home construction the way a few coastal markets did. Um, but in the wake of the financial crisis, new home construction just absolutely got decimated. Builders couldn't get financing. A lot of builders went out of business. Homeowners, especially new homeowners, couldn't get financing. And even though the issues and the problems that we had prior, that brought on the financial crisis didn't have any relation to anything that was going on in the Kansas City market, 
we were affected by it here in the Central Plains. And so um, we saw just this absolute collapse in new home construction activity, and it really never recovered. Increases that we saw going up to about 500 permits a month when we had been upwards about 750, 800 permits a month. Over the course of a long period of time, that leads to an increasing shortage of number of units available. Now, I will mention that multifamily, so this is not just single family permits, but it's all housing permits, including duplexes, triplexes, quads, and apartment buildings. That does a, makes up a little bit of the gap, but it still doesn't fill all of the gap. And the other thing that I will mention is that the new home construction side of the market was most heavily impacted by the interest rate increases over the past year. They got really decimated. And it's some of those buyers that are most affected by the price increases, the interest rate increases that we've seen. Um, our forecast is that next year new home construction will increase just a little bit. That's predicated that I am correct. There are two things that I think are gonna help new home construction going forward. Number one is I do think mortgage rates will fall, and this is predicated on that. Number two, I think that we need to have, um, there needs to be some time for people to reacclimate to the new interest rate environment. Where we are now is more back to what I think is normal. Again, if I had to say what's a normal range of mortgage rates, I would say five and a half to seven and a half percent, give or take. I wouldn't think anything was abnormal if my rates were inside that range. We're a little bit above that right now, but I expect it to come down. I don't think we'll ever get down below. We'll never get down to 3% again. Say that, and of course now it happens. Um, so that is our overall forecast. These numbers are on there. I will mention that our forecasts for all of the markets across Kansas, if you're interested, uh, are available on the Center for Real Estate's website. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to stay around and chat for a few minutes if you have some other questions.